0: This morning we have a great privilege to have a guest speaker, but not any guest speaker. This morning we have Mike Abendroth with us from Massachusetts, so he commuted in this morning. Now he was here this weekend doing a wedding and is around and willing to come and bring us God's word. Some of you might be familiar with Pastor Mike. He's been at Bethlehem Bible Church in West Boylston, Massachusetts since 1997. He's written many books. Uh, I think he does work for AGTV and some series on there. And others, but he happened to be one of my preaching mentors as well. And he was a man that cut it straight with me and told me how it is and uh, did it with a smile on his face. And so he's a lover of God's word. He is a great expositor of the word. So, Mike, would you come and bring us God's word this morning? Well, thank you, Pastor. Before we get into the message, I just want you to know that I've had a kindred spirit with you and your church for the last two years. Uh, I was reading about your former pastor and his COVID experience and the details in the blog and had heard about it back in Massachusetts. And then I myself got COVID and was in the hospital for 16 days and thought I was going to die. And then I got out and then your pastor died. And I have to tell you that every time I drive, and I'm not kidding, every time I drive past a KFC now, (laughs) I, I think of you. And I just think the uh, Lord's goodness and kindness and providence and and uh, that's my grandson. I know that voice <laughs> right there. That's little Amos right there. And um, for your new pastor, uh, aren't you thankful that the Lord just raises up another man to stand in the pulpit and proclaim the gospel and the truth? And uh, gospel preaching pastors are hard to find, and you've had two in a row. And so I hope, dear congregation, that you're very pleased and thankful unto the Lord. Uh, I had Robert as a, as a student, and a lot of students that I have uh, don't smile when they preach. It's kind of hard to smile when you preach because you're so focused on the Word, and you're, you're intense, and you don't want to mess up God's Word. This is not a game, and so you kind of forget to smile, and I never had to teach that to Robert. He was just smiling. I almost maybe had to say, you're smiling too much, <laughs> and so the joy of the Lord is our strength, certainly. How do you parent? What's your parenting style? Sit down, shake their hand, look them in the eye, open the car door for your mom. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything that we need to add to that? Let me ask you another question. How do you evangelize? Repent, turn, believe, trust. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything more than that? If someone were to come to you and they're struggling with assurance, what would you tell them? How's your prayer life? Are you evangelizing the nurses? Are you reading your Bible? Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything more to that? Well, today we're going to look at a topic that's very, very important that's going to answer that question, and then I'm going to give you the full answer to all three of those scenarios at the end of the message today. Today, we're gonna talk about the key, really, to biblical hermeneutics, the key to living, and the key to dying. If you understand the passage today, I think if you walked into someone's room and they're dying of COVID or cancer, you would know how to minister to them. And if you can minister to the people on deathbeds, you can minister to people while they're living. We're gonna talk today about the paradigm that you know well, and it's called law. And gospel are, as we say in New England and Massachusetts, lar and gospel. And we're going to talk about that. I'm sad when it comes to memories because we only remember about 10% of what the pastor teaches us. Can you imagine that? 90% of what we say they they don't remember or I don't remember. So what do pastors do to get you to remember things? They keep teaching the same things over and over and over that are most important right, like the Lord Jesus, like the sin-bearing Savior who's been raised from the dead. So you probably know about today's subject because you're well taught, but I want to reinforce that to make sure you understand this paradigm of law gospel because it really will change your life. And by the way, Martin Luther said that if you understand law gospel paradigm, you should be called doctor. So if you understand the sermon today, afterwards, I'd like you to come up to me. I don't want you to say to me, that was a good sermon I already tell myself that after I preach anyway, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> I want you to say, hi, doctor, and I'll look at you and I'll say, hi, doctor. Because if you understand law and gospel, it's that important for hermeneutics, assurance, parenting, living a holy life, the law and gospel distinction. So what we're going to do today is maybe a little bit different than verse by verse exposition at the front end. We'll get to that. But we're going to, look, we're going to have two definitions and we're going to look at three passages of scripture. Two definitions, three passages of scripture, so you can understand law, gospel. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't even know why I should care. It seems esoteric, it seemed like seminary. But if you get this, you'll be in good stead understanding the Bible. Two definitions, three passages. Sound good? All right, definition number one: what is law? What is law? The law is a command, the law is an imperative. The law tells you what to do. The law accuses you if you don't do what you're supposed to do. The law convicts you if you're not doing what you're supposed to do. The law says, do this and live. The law says in Deuteronomy and in Galatians, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law and to do them. We have the law written in our hearts and it tells us what to do. I remember during Easter, they have those little marshmallow things at the checkout counter. They look like little chickens, little uh, poultry. What are those called? Peeps. And so I want to redeem peeps for you today when we think about the law. God's law requires perfect, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. Peeps. Personal, entire, exact, perpetual obedience obedience that's what the law is and I'm sure you're familiar with this the law is from God and it says obey pretty simple and by the way it reflects God's nature does it not the law is not just floating around out here abstractly it reflects God's nature and God is holy and God is righteous and God is just and therefore his law is holy and righteous and just Paul says in Romans, what should we say then? That the law is sin by no means. And so the law is like a mirror. So the law for the unbeliever, he, he takes or she takes the law and it's like a mirror and of course... At my age, I need uh, the big mirrors, not the 2X, not the 3X, but I could probably use like a 50X if they made it, but I have to settle for the 10X. And I think I look pretty good when I wake up until I look at that mirror that's 10X with the, with the illumination around it, and I think, man, uh, I need some help. And so the law shows us our sin. The law tells us we're sinners in need help. Of a savior. That's what the law does. So, in review, the law is simple. It's a command, it's an imperative, it's what God tells us to do. He's the creator, we're the creature, and He has the ability and the authority to tell us what to do. So, the law says do. Definition number two the gospel says what? If law is do, 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 the gospel is done. Done, done. The gospel means good news. The gospel means you should probably stand up on your tiptoes when you exclaim that Jesus Christ saves sinners. That Jesus justifies the ungodly. While the law says do, the gospel says done. While the law says you're a sinner, the gospel says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. The law doesn't, the law, while the law demands, the gospel offers The gospel says even though we're sinners, Jesus Christ is full of grace and mercy, and it announces great blessings. The gospel says you've been washed, you've been pardoned, you've been justified, you've been cleansed freely, no conditions. The law says do this and it's never done. The gospel says believe this, everything is finished. Let me give you a little quiz so far, class, to see if you're up to speed on law, do, gospel, done. I'm going to read a verse. You tell me law or gospel. You can say it out loud if you want. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Gospel, good. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. Law or gospel? Law, excellent. Number three. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law of the book and to do them law Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us Gospel why well, i didn 't even need to come today you 've taught them well when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under law, to redeem those who were under law, law or gospel, Gospel, okay, those are the two definitions. Law and gospel. And if you start blending these two together and confuse them, you're in big trouble. I think it was maybe Michael Horton said that if you take law, do, and gospel, done, and meld them together, you don't get law and you don't get gospel, you get what? Gospel. And it's very important when it comes to parenting, when it comes to holy living, when it comes to assurance, when it comes to deathbed, when it comes to evangelism, that you get these two things right. Right? So we've got the definition, law do, gospel done. Now I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. This is the first passage I like to look at because when it comes to law and gospel, we deal with unbelievers with law and gospel and believers with law and gospel. And so today we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see Jesus talking to an unbeliever using the law. So our first passage today is talking about law for the unbeliever to show them like a mirror that they need a savior. And by the way, this, if you kind of get a a little hint, oh, this is probably how I should evangelize as well, that would be right thinking. Matthew chapter 19, the great book of the king, Jesus the king. And of course, a passage that you all know very well, but it's important as we undergird our Main passage today with law gospel distinctions, Matthew 19, 16, and behold, it's going to get your attention, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Law question or gospel question? Law question, okay. Amos just said law question. I'm happy for that. By the way, Mark says this man ran up to Jesus. Jesus kneeling before Jesus, what must I do? Is that a good question, by the way? That's a really good question, and the world is so ear-butted out and social media out, they don't even stop to think. There's life after death. There's a holy God. I'm a sinner. I, I need a Savior. They never stop to think about it. And this man knew that he was a sinner. He runs up, not kind of walking, not skipping. He's running up. This is very important, and he asks a question. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What do I do to inherit eternal life? What would you tell him? If you were Jesus there, what would you say to this man who runs up? Would you say, accept Jesus in your heart? Would you say, make a decision for the Lord Jesus? Would you say, let's go get baptized? Would you say, watch my life for a while and I'll do some lifestyle evangelism? What would you say? Verse 17, he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good Isn't that interesting? There's only one who's good. And by the way, it's not you, rich young ruler. It's me, Jesus incarnate. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? Good and only he is ultimately good. I'm good, Jesus is saying. You're not good, and you need to be declared righteous. You need a savior. Why do you ask me what's good? There's only one who's good. And now he's going to give him the law to show him with a mirror. I'm a sinner, and I don't just have pock marks on my face and blemishes. I'm a sinner deep down and I need a savior. It's the law first. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Just keep the commandments. How hard's that? Perfectly, entirely, exactly, perpetually. How many times do you have to spit in the king's face before he executes you? James chapter 2, right? If you've broken one law, how many are you held accountable for? And so he's trying to show this man his need of a savior, Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, Here comes the law. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. This is all second table of the law, how we deal with other people. You should not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does the law of God require? Perfect obedience. The young man should have said, What? I've heard you're merciful. I've heard you're gracious to lawbreakers. I heard that's why you came. I know a little bit about the Old Testament, about the Messiah that would come. And would you please have mercy? I've fallen short. But instead, he says what? The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Heidelberg Catechism, can you keep the law perfectly? Answer, in no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And yet the ruler's like, I can, I do, I am keeping the law. Verse 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Truly, I say to you, Jesus said in verse 23, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then could be saved? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What the law does, the law shows unbelievers... Who God is, His nature, His standards, so they cry out, I need a Savior. So, first passage is law, second passage, any guesses? Let's go to a gospel passage. And maybe the most famous is 1 Corinthians 15. This is all kind of a, an intro before we get to our passage today in 1 Corinthians. We have a law definition due, a gospel definition done. We've seen how Jesus uses the law for unbelievers as a mirror. And now let's talk about the gospel. By the way, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Spurgeon used to say, you guys heard of a guy named Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon? He used to say, This passage shouts out to the pastor, Preach me, preach me, don't preach other passages. This is so wonderful, preach. So we're still working on definitions before we get to 1 Corinthians 16. We're talking about now the gospel. And instead of me just describing it with words, I want you to see it with Bible words. 1 Corinthians 15, this chapter on the resurrection. As Paul deals with a very dysfunctional church. Now, I remind you, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, brothers of the gospel, good news, Christ Jesus, eternal Son, assumes humanity, dies on the cross, raised from the dead, etc. I preach to you what you received, in which you stand. For I delivered to you, excuse me, verse, verse 2, by which the gospel, you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's good news. That he was buried. He really died. Wages of sin is death. He was our sin bearer. That's good news. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So now we have the very famous gospel passage about what God has done. Jesus did, by the way, perfectly, entirely, exactly and perpetually keep the law, did he not? Can you imagine? You could look at the Lord Jesus' life and never find one single sin that he ever did. The Father could say of the Son, "This is my beloved son in whom I'm what?" Well pleased. To get to heaven, you have to perfectly obey. And now Jesus obeys in our place as a representative. He dies for our sins as a substitute. He's raised on the third day, and all of that is good news. Let's make it very personal. Dear Christian, you get to go to heaven. Can you imagine? I get to go to heaven. I may be preaching, but I still have sin tainted in me, and I, I still struggle with the flesh and everything else. And I think, I get to go to heaven even though I deserve hell. Think about life. Here's what the world says. You deserve it all. And the world delivers this. And the difference is despair. The Bible teaches you deserve this, and you get this, and the difference is what? Joy. You get to go to heaven. Can you imagine? You die, and you get to go to heaven even though you don't deserve it. And I think that's pretty good news. That's the kind of news that as S. Lewis Johnson used to say, you stand on tiptoes, like when maybe his favorite president, when his favorite person won the presidency, and S. Lewis Johnson back in the day would say, Ronald Reagan won in a landslide, delivered with a smile. Uh, it's a boy. It's a girl. Your face kind of lights up. It's funny when my children are here and they they know that I've when I'm on vacation, I have kind of a vacation sermon. So I just preach it everywhere. I go on vacation. they're like, oh, here's the sixth vacation sermon of the same passage. So I know they've heard this, but maybe you haven't heard it. I was taught you have three faces in life. The face you have when they bury you. The face you have when you're bugged, scrunched up. And the face you have when you go see your little grandson Amos in the crib in the morning. You hear him making some sounds, and you walk over the crib, and you go, hi, Amos. He knows I'm talking about him. Hi, Amos. That face, that open face. And while Psalm 5.5 says God hates evildoers, yes, in Christ Jesus, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face what? shine. Can you imagine the attitude of God toward us? It's an open face, open arm, father-son, father-daughter relationship, and all that is called good news. When it comes to unbelievers, we give them the law to show them their need of the Savior, and then we tell them about the Savior, the Lord Jesus. It can't just be repent, turn, or burn, or believe. It has to be, we talk about the object of our faith. The gospel isn't do better. The gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. The gospel isn't have a relationship with Jesus. What would Jesus do? Get baptized, get catechized, feed the poor, force spiritual laws, sinners' prayer, make Jesus your Lord, speak in tongues, let Jesus be on the throne of your heart, get baptized with the Holy Spirit, let go and let God love your neighbor, love others. That's all law, law, law. The gospel is Jesus is alive. And in returning, the gospel has no commands. It requires nothing. It is free grace. The gospel is so great when you talk to an unbeliever and you give them the law and they say, I'm exposed, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and they were to say to you, do I have to stop sinning in order to come to Christ? I'm enslaved to sin. I try to get out of sin. I, I, I don't like myself when I do, and I can't extricate myself from my own sin. Don't I have to stop sinning in order to come to Christ? And you tell them what? Be careful. You don't tell them be careful, but you be careful. <laughs> God justifies the ungodly. There's nothing antecedent to faith. You don't clean up yourself in order to be saved because it's impossible It's like you're cutting down a tree, and you get a bunch of pitch on your hands, and the next thing you know, it's on your shirt. It's everywhere else, and it's just like, that's what sin does. We can't get out of it, except the Lord Jesus can extract us from our own sin. He, the Holy One, bearing our sin. That's what good news is, and you can see with this passage. Good news includes includes the resurrection, right? There's not any good news without the resurrection, because if there's no resurrection, the Father doesn't accept the Son's sacrifice and or Jesus sinned, and so he stays in the grave. So when we're preaching to people, the unbelievers, the law is like a mirror. They see their sin, and then we give them the good news. So far, so good? Now, here's a question you probably want to ask. What about for Christians? And this is the main emphasis of my sermon today. What about Christians? Maybe we don't need law. Maybe we can just run around, crazy antinomian, do whatever we want. Or what might be even worse, maybe we don't need the gospel. I mean, we already believed that, took care of that when we first got saved, and now we can just get back to holy living, morality and piety. Maybe we don't really need the gospel. Do you need the gospel as Christians? I'm assuming many of you are here today. Do you need to be reminded that in spite of your sin, you're still going to heaven, you have a Father that loves you, and there's no condemnation for those in Christ? How'd your week go of of sin and holiness? Do you need to be reminded today that God loves you with an everlasting love? That God didn't stop loving you this week because you sinned? God couldn't stop loving you because he never began loving you. He's always loved you, dear, dear saint. But what do we do as Christians? Let me ask you this. Someone comes to you and they say, I'm struggling with sexual sin. What do you tell them struggling with pornography I get phone calls like this all the time I'm struggling with pornography what do you tell them well the answer to that question is found right here in 1 Corinthians and so 1 Corinthians chapter 6 I told Robert in preaching class you're supposed to get to your main passage within three or four minutes it's called TTT time to text we're 21 minutes into the text here we go I'm a guest speaker I throw the hand grenade out I take off and go back to Massachusetts have a nice day 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The gospel is the remedy for what the law shows us as unbelievers. But the gospel also is the motivation to obey. Today I had to type in your church address in my GPS. When I used to live in California, I had to have a Thomas Brothers guide map. If you're old enough, you know those. Only the old people kind of smiled. I'd laugh. I type in the GPS. Did my GPS get me here today? It just guided me. It's like the law. Good job. Stay on target. Way to go. Turn around. What got me here? I want you to know that the Honda Pilot that I'm driving has an engine it got me here. And the law is like the GPS, as my friend says. And the gospel's the engine. The law for you Christian will tell you what to do, but it has no animating power. It's just a guide. And so if your entire Christian life is, just tell me what to do, you're going to be failing. It's going to be difficult for you. But if your life is based on what God has done for me, since I was guilty in Adam, graced in the last Adam, Christ, and I'd like to respond out of gratitude, what drives the Christian? What's the engine for the Christian? Is it law? No, it's the gospel. And we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and following, that Paul uses both law and gospel for the Christian because your default and my default is law only. Your default and my default is Just tell me what to do. When the Christian life is much more than what we do, it's also what we think. And by the way, why do you think every Sunday your pastor preaches the gospel here? Because we all so forget it so often. We need to be reminded that we stand before God, holy and blameless, based on the work of another. And though we feel dirty, we feel sinful because... We did rightly we didn't certainly sin, but God accepts us as children in Christ Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter six is for believers dealing with sexual sin, but I want you to know it could be any sin that they're dealing with, and it will help. Before we look at the passage, by the way, what's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? You can say it out loud if you want. Ten Commandments, What's the most important part? Pardon me. No other gods. Okay, good. Okay, all good answers, but all wrong. <laughs> okay, there, the law's good, but the most important part of the 10 commandments aren't the commandments. It's the beginning of the commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, therefore obey. Gospel truths up front, here's who I am, here's what, I done, what I've done, now you obey. The most important part of the 10 commandments aren't any of the commandments. Commandments are good, they're holy, they're right, they reflect God's nature, but they are not the engine to your life, they're the GPS. Now let's dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What we're going to do in this passage in verses 9 through 20, and remember Corinthians is written to this very carnal church, and they've got a lot of questions, they've got a lot of problems, and unlike Ephesians or Romans where he gives some truth in the beginning and how to live at the end. Uh, He here mixes everything up with questions and answers and uh, problems that he deals with. And one of the problems that is happening in verses 9 and following is sexual immorality. And of course, there's no excuse for sexual immorality, but at Corinth, they had the temple up on top of the hill. I've been to Corinth and seen that little area where on Fridays, the temple prostitutes would come down for worship, and it was just part of the culture. It's like America today. It's just part of the culture. Utilitarian view of sex, and just like it doesn't matter if people are married or not or anything else. So I'm going to give you three laws... Christians in 1 Corinthians 6. Then I'm, that's, the GP, that's the GPS, and then I'm gonna give you several. Whenever a pastor says several, he doesn't wanna tell you the number because he might run out of time. I'm thinking about nine, but I'm gonna tell you several. We're gonna see law and gospel for the Christian when it comes to holy living. I've been around the world, and even in my own life, the problem with Christian living is we forget about who Jesus is and the gospel, and therefore we have no motivation to do the right thing. Okay, so we need to be reminded. Yes, law, we're not antinomian, we're not anti-law, but what's the fuel behind it all? So let's see the law first. Three laws. Law 1, verse 9. First Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here's the law: don't be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. That's a law. Don't be deceived. Why does he say it? Because it's easy to be deceived. They're kind, they're nice, they're friendly. My homosexual friends are are nicer than my Christian friends, and all these things start going. Don't be deceived. Be careful. I like it when he says in verse 9, do you not know? He says that a lot to the Corinthians. They should know. When I was a kid growing up, we called people that thought they knew everything what? Know-it-alls. Don't you hate those kind of people? I hate it when I'm that person. A bunch of know-it-alls. I think there was even Bullwinkle and Rocky cartoon growing up, and there was Mr. What? See, the old people laugh. Mr. Know It All. And if you don't know that, maybe last generation, Bill Withers sings a song. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. I know, I know. That's the Corinthians. I know, I know. No, you don't know, Paul says to the Corinthians. He's not saying if you've ever committed adultery or homosexuality or lied or thieved, you lose your salvation. You're not a Christian. He's seeing these people that are living this unrighteous lifestyle year after year. It's just their nature. It's who they are. It's who they're identified by, what they're identified by. He's saying, you're not a Christian. Don't be deceived. And as A.T. Roberts has said, this solemn roll call of the damned maybe had some people's names on it from Corinth. Do you really think he's saying, Paul is saying, that the gospel of Christ Jesus gives you liberty and license to just go sin as much as you want, as much as you used to, as much as you want to, and I'm covered by the blood and everything's fine? That's not the response to sovereign grace. That's not really a response to the gospel. He gives another law. Law is important to guide us. Do we need guidance as Christians? Uh, Yes, he gives the law. Verse 18 in this section's law and gospel, here's another law that says do. It's good for God to tell us as Christians to do. Here's verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is good advice. This is Solomon in Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 7, telling his sons, run. Run from sexual immorality. Matter of fact, that word flee there is where we get the word fugitive. Run like mad. Be like Joseph. Remember when Joseph was tempted, what did he do? Well, I'm so strong in my convictions, I'll never fall to that. Almost like a coward he runs, but a good cowardly way. Just get me out of here. Run. And to prove that I'm not an antinomian, I can look at everyone here in the eyes and say if you're involved in sexual sin on a computer or with a person, You need to run. You need to run. Today needs to be the last day. I need to run. Flee, right? That's the response. If someone says, I'm involved in sexual sin, what do you tell them? Run. Nothing wrong with the law. There's another law. Verse 20. Glorify God in your body. Dear Christian, we need to be guided by the law. For the unbeliever, the law is like a mirror. For the believer, the law is like a guide. We need to be guided by the law so that we can obey the law. Is it good to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself? Yes, that is good. That's a guide. But that's just the GPS. You're probably thinking to yourself, well, then, are there some motivations that help me live this way so I can have some power to do it? Because I feel weak, I feel discouraged that I'm not motivated to obey like I should. It's a struggle, it's a hard life, a lot of sin in life and difficulty for even Christians. Let me give you some gospel motivations for holy living. If you're struggling with sexual sin or any other sin, this is law gospel for the Christian. And the missing paradigm in most every evangelical church that they struggle with is there's not enough gospel taught to the Christians to help them be motivated. Let me give you the first gospel truth, and it's back in chapter 1. If you put a finger in chapter 6 and flip back to chapter 1, verses 8 and following, what would motivate you uh, to flee sexual immorality? What would motivate you not to be deceived? What would motivate you to glorify God with your body? Well, there's lots of motivations. Here's one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and following. We're talking about God here who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I'm not faithful. I'm like the Corinthians. Verse 9, God is faithful. By the way, is that law or gospel? That's gospel truth. God is faithful. By the way, what's your favorite psalm? Go ahead and say it. What's the, what's the most famous psalm? Let's say that. Psalm 23, is there any law in Psalm 23? Isn't that interesting? Not one law in Psalm 23. That's one of the reasons why people think I I think they love it so. The Lord's my shepherd. I don't lack anything at at all. He's my shepherd. Anyway, back to the passage. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the swirling cesspool of Corinthian unfaithfulness, guess guess who's faithful? We might slip, we might sin. I'm not trying to make sin a slip up, but we might slip into sin. But God is faithful. You, Christian, worship a faithful God. Has God ever been unfaithful to you? In sickness and in health, death of loved ones, God has never been unfaithful. And God, this faithful God, says, in light of what I've done for you, dear saint, I'd like you to be sexually pure we sing great is thy faithfulness. We think about God is so faithful, faithful to the end. That's what we need. We need to remember that God is faithful. Well, are there other motivations? Oh, yes, there is. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What what makes us motivated? Well, thinking about the character of God is really the answer and that's all gospel. It's all about what God is like, who He is, what His nature is, what His essence. Back to the context we have in verse 11, after He gives this list, He says in verse 11 about Christians, and such were some of you. But you were, here's a gospel truth, washed. You used to be these people. You used to be the adulterers and fornicators and greedy and drunkards. You used to be that, but you were washed. When you are forgiven in Christ Jesus, don't you feel clean? Don't you feel washed? You're washed. God washed you by sovereign grace. As we say in Nebraska, He washed you thoroughly. Washed Kind of the Nebraska background I have, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Don't we sing that? Aren't you motivated when you sing? I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. That's all gospel truth. That's what we're trying to do. Is there a response and is there obedience? Yes. But you're washed. You're regenerated. God made you alive. I'd like to know how many people here on the day they were born bore themselves, climbed out, Looked around, okay, good, I'll come out. The language of birth is I was born. It happened to me. I didn't bear myself. God bore you, God, God made you alive. And he, he gave you birth, spiritual birth. Of course, He was instrumental and sovereign over your, regu- your, your normal birth as well. You're washed. Did the Corinthians deserve to be washed? That's always the right question. No, and God washed them anyway. Did we deserve to be washed? No, but we're washed anyway. I'm washed, I'm clean. You do sinful things, you're like, I just want to take a shower and get all this kind of sin off of me. We couldn't do it, but God has washed us. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. So you know what Paul's saying? If you're all washed and clean spiritually, Why would you run back? Why would you run back? You wash the pig, and the pig goes back to the what? The mire. The dog throws up. And again, my kids have heard these illustrations a thousand times. We had a dog, and her name was Jetty. We love that dog, but dogs are dogs. And when Jetty ate too many snacks and she'd throw up on the ground, I'd tell the kids, don't clean it up. We have Bible truth lesson right now. Jettys looking around. First, they're scared because they think they went to the bathroom in the house or something, but you know, throw up, you don't get a spanking for throw-up. you're like, "You spank dogs socking." <laughs> <laughs> and then they kind of start sneaking over a little and they're looking at you. Might as well. <laughs> now you can clean it up, kids. Why do we run back to those things? And right now, when we're thinking rightly, we're like, yeah, that was really stupid. But all of a sudden, you're in life and temptations and everything else and walking by the flesh instead of by the Spirit. And, and, and you're like, I've fallen again. How could God love me? I've committed the same sin that I've committed 50 times, 7 times, 70 times, 7 times, 700 times. I, I just don't know if God can love me anymore because I feel so dirty. I, as a Christian, have sinned like I ought not to have. And we sing a song called Amazing Grace for a reason because it's amazing, and you know what? You're still washed. You're still washed. And I know what you're thinking. That's just going to make me want to go disobey all the more? No, that's going to make you want to obey all the more. I want to honor the Lord that would do that for me. If you would do that for me, it's my desire to live for you. I repent. I'm sorry that I did those sins even yesterday or this morning. I don't want to go back. I'm washed. Not only that, number three, sanctified. Look at that in verse 11. He's trying to pile up truth so that you remember, even though you're a Christian who sinned even today, you're right with God. That's the motivating power. You were washed. You were sanctified. That's talking about positional sanctification. That's talking about you're set apart when you first get saved for God's uses. We, before we were saved, we do what we want. And now God saves us, and he says, you're special for me. You eat off paper plates, maybe a lot of days of the week, just so you don't have to do dishes. But Christmas and Thanksgiving, you have special china, right? Special silverware and that's called sanctified. It's only for special things. It's only for special use. You have it like that. I like to ride bicycles, and uh, when people stay at our house or come over, I say, see the bicycles in the garage? You can ride any of those. Go ahead, it's fine. But there's a bicycle that lives in my study with all my theological books inside the house, and you can't ride that. I wouldn't even let Robert ride it. Because it's sanctified, set apart for a special use. Pastor Mike's use, that is. <laughs> God set you apart special to do things not like run around for sexual sin or any other sin. And what Paul is driving at and what we need to remember is law is built into our system. Gospel has to be proclaimed. Did you get that? Law is built in the system. Gospel has to be Proclaimed. And so for the unbeliever, we proclaim law and gospel, but for the believer, don't miss it. We do the exact same thing. Can't you see it? That's why Milton Vincent's little booklet called The Gospel Primer is so wonderful because it's gospel. We need to keep rehearsing the gospel. Jerry Bridges, you need to preach the gospel to yourself, what? Every day. How often do you celebrate the Lord's Supper here? Once a month. To remind you all, Jesus paid it all. We even hand it to you. You don't make it or do it. It's like this is everything that God has done. And we're reminded that even though I've sinned this week, I'm right with God. And now I want to go live for him. Not only that, you're justified. I'm washed. I don't want to pollute myself again. I'm set apart for the, the work of God. And I don't want to go back to that. And now I'm justified. You know the doctrine here. The doctrine of justification by faith alone, and the text says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I've sinned, and I feel self-condemned. I've sinned, and I have just a guilt, a paralyzing, suffocating guilt. I've sinned, and I have these regrets. I'm a Christian, and I do these things. They seem like it's over and over and over. And Paul says, you're justified. And I say to you, dear Christian, you're justified. Do you know you stand in God's eyes as perfectly holy, righteous, and just? Do you know you stand before God and he sees you in Christ Jesus as perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually obeying? You know that's how God sees you? God sees you as pure and clean and white. Catechism. How are you righteous before God? Answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscious, conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments and have never kept them at all, and I'm still inclined to evil, yet God, here's the good news, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes our credits, or reckons to me the perfect satisfaction and righteousness and holiness of Christ. Christian, he grants these to me as if I've never committed any sin, and, this, and if, as if I've accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me if I accept this with a believing heart. He's loading up gospel truth. Here's another one, verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. When's the last time you thought to yourself, one of the keys to holy living, even when it comes to sexually, is resurrection? My body's going to be raised from the dead. This body, your body. So why would I want to use, I just looked over there, I could see myself in a mirror. What's going on there? Is that the view room there? What's behind that mirror? I want to know. Oh, that's scary. Once I preached in uh, a Russian church in, in Germany, and they had huge screens That served like a mirror, by the way, because I looked up at the screen. I looked past the translator, and I saw that screen up there. I'm like, you don't look good when you're bigger. You look good when you're small. And I'm like, I think those screens add about 95 kilos to my weight. And I'm looking over there. I'm going to tuck this in a little bit. He raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. If he's going to raise me up by his power, what am I doing flirting around with these sexual sins? Matter of fact, he keeps going. He's talking about union with Christ in verse 17. One after another, loading up, not just law, but gospel for the Christian. Gospel means good news about what God has done specifically in Christ Jesus. Here we're talking about union with Christ, united with Christ. Verse 15, for the know-it-all Corinthians... Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. For do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Paul says from resurrection to union to washing, sanctifying, justifying, God is faithful, don't go back to sexual sin. I mean, verse 19 says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then isn't this interesting? He says in verse 19, you are not your own. And he gives for us today the final gospel truth for Christians. For you're bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Did you know that, Christian? You were bought with a price, the price of the Lord Jesus and his death. He owns you. If you go to a slave market and buy a slave, you own the slave. God buys you. He purchases you. He redeems you. He wants your body to be used for good things, holy things. You're bought with a price, and it wasn't cheap. It was the price of the son. Now, let's go back to the original question. How do you parent? Here's how almost everybody parents if they're not thinking rightly. A parent with only the law. There's nothing wrong to say sit down, be quiet in church, sing, help, pick up your room. I don't care what rules you want to give around the table, no elbows on the table. It's just all law. Can you give law to your children? I hope so. You must. But what else do you say to your children? I love you. I can't believe the Lord gave me you. I think about the blessings that God has given me. I, I prayed for you when you're in the womb. I think about Haley. I would, I would sing songs. This sounds kind of dumb when I say it this way. I'd sing songs to, ha- to, to Kim's stomach while Haley was in there. I'm singing songs to Haley while she's in the womb. Hymns. I provide for you. I, I, I tell my children. I give you the best medical care that I can get. I give you... Uh, the most fun vacations. I, I give you the most, um, make sure you go to the best church in the world, you have the best pastor in the world, I make sure it's all taken care of. That's all gospel truths, and in light of that, obey. Obey. The motivation for the children to obey is, my mommy and daddy love me. They protect me, everything they've ever done for me. I see that. I see their faithfulness. I see it at their own cost. I see it at their own expense, at their own denial, at their own sleep, and mothers getting up in the middle of the night and doing all that. My mom loves me. My dad loves me. And when they tell me to do something, I ought to do it. Not because I'm going to be better in their eyes, not because I'm going to be somehow more of a son or daughter, but because I am a son or a daughter. How about evangelism? Is your evangelism repent, believe, turn? I was in Dublin. Kim and I were there for a very spiritual reason. I wanted to get some cool sunglasses like Bono (laughs) 25 years ago. And there's a guy standing up on a little platform. Repent, turn, burn, Jesus. And I thought, you know what? With his courage and my seminary training, we could make a good team. So I walked over. I kind of had my head down. I didn't want to confront him. I said, don't forget the good news. Jesus is alive, and he's coming back. I just walked off. And I could hear him say, and for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall have eternal life. And my insides went like this. Yes. <laughs> but if we're not careful, we forget to talk about the Lord Jesus. How about Assurance. When I was laying there in the hospital thinking I might be dead, typing passwords to my family in like a demonic COVID lockdown where they won't let your family come and say hi to you. If you were to sneak past, my son said he was going to sneak in maybe, bust the door down, what would you say to me to encourage me? Are you evangelizing the nurses? How's your prayer life? Are you listening to some Christian podcast, memorizing verses, Now, I tried to listen to the Bible online. I was kind of oxygen depraved, a little. Um, I tried to pray for the nurses sometimes. What would you tell me? By the way, read Bible, evangelize, pray, meditate, law or gospel. It's all law. What motivates a person on their deathbed? Someone told me, R. Scott Clark told me, Mike, Jesus loves you and he'll never leave you. I started bawling. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. If ever he loved you, he'll love you forever. You can trust the Lord Jesus because he's faithful. If that's what you tell people on their deathbed, why don't you tell it while they're living? See, the key to Christian living, we get the law right, right? I really haven't been to one church in my life where they were truly antinomian. They understand the law. They're not against the law. But it's the truths that come behind of the glory of who God is and his grace. Lastly, I'll put this in. If you struggle with assurance, do you think the law gospel paradigm could help you? And the answer is yes. Yes. Martin Luther said, when I look to myself, law, I don't know how I could be saved. But when I look to the Lord Jesus, gospel, I don't know how I could be lost. When someone says they're struggling with assurance, the first answer is not, are you reading your Bible? Are you memorizing? Are you meditating? Are you going to worship services on Sunday? That's not the first nor the primary. It's secondary. It's secondary. It's to be included, but it's secondary. The first one is objective truths about who God is in Christ. And by the way, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but the whole world. Assurance people. Those that want assurance need not just law, but need the gospel. So when it comes to evangelism, in summary, we give them the law to show them their sin and the gospel to show them the glories of Christ. But with Christians, we tell them, yes, obey. Yes, flee. Yes, don't be deceived. Yes, read your Bible. But we tell them the gospel for the motivating, animating, I'm not calling the Holy Spirit a force, but the power unto all that is the Lord Jesus. Isn't that good? You know what it makes me want to do? It wants me to go back in time to be a better parent, to not just be drill sergeant Abendroth, drill instructor. If you're a young dad and mom, let me give you law. You need to give your children the gospel, not just about Jesus, but how much you love them and care for them and provide for them and take care of them, right? Let's pray. Father, just to be able to call you Father, that's a good gospel motivating truth. There's nothing we can do to have your love be separated from you with us. We thank you for that. That's a gospel truth. And so we, with Paul in Ephesians, say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. May this church continue its proclamation of the law to unbelievers with the soothing ointment of the gospel. And would you help us as Christians to not default to law only. In Jesus' name, amen.